Right, I wanted to I wanted to start today by sharing what I think is an amusing story. In our previous home, my family's previous home, we we lived with my in-laws, uh, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law um, in their home before my father-in-law passed away and also after he passed away. And it's a pretty big, spacious home. They had um, these extra rooms and so it was uh, a good space for our family. But there was a period of uh, a little over half a year when my little brother was living with us. And when I say little, he's like uh, just a year and a half younger than me. And he had his own room and his room was the only bedroom that was downstairs and all the other bedrooms were upstairs and so he kind of had um, some privacy uh, he definitely had his own room but you know um, when he's living with his niece and nephew you know they're like bothering him all the time or wanting to play with him anyways um, my brother uh, for the most part he's a really great roommate you know I, I enjoyed living with him it was probably harder for him to live with me and my family than it was for us to live with him. But he had some odd um, behaviors, okay? Um, sometimes we, uh, uh, he would sleepwalk, okay? Sometimes he would sleepwalk. It's not a lot, okay? It's not often, but there were a few times that um, uh, I saw him sleepwalking. And, you know, because I grew up with him, I knew that he did this from time to time. But there, there was this one um, mystery, okay, that we had, all right? We had this pantry that was next to the kitchen, and we kept, like, our, like, uh, produce, but also, like, um, a bunch of snacks in the pantry. It was a walk-in pantry in our kitchen. And we noticed that, like, uh, in the middle of the night, um, someone was going in there and eating some chips or eating some cookies and just leaving the bags open in the pantry at first we thought it was weird um and uh you know immediately like i thought of my brother i, I like asked him like hey did you eat these this bag of chips or did you eat these cookies like last night and uh he said no right he said no and so um Obviously, I believed him, um, but it kind of uh, kept happening, like, um, uh, you know, uh, a couple weeks later, like, uh, you know, a few weeks would go by, and in the middle of the night, like, someone would go into our pantry and eat some snacks and just, like, leave the bags open, and so we knew it wasn't, like, raccoons or <laughs> rats or anything, because, and it's not like they chew through the bag, they, like, open the bag from the top, and, you know, and um, I asked my kids, um, you know, my, Becky thought it was me. I thought it might have been Becky. Uh, and we couldn't figure it out, right? Someone, and, and it wasn't my mother-in-law, you know. It for sure wasn't my mother-in-law. And so, uh, but it kept happening, right? And so, uh, one morning when we found this, uh, a bag of chips that was open, right? And it was like half empty. My kids went into my brother's bedroom and... <laughs> He was still sleeping, okay? Um, it was like a Saturday. And uh, he had <laughs> chip crumbs all over, like around his mouth and on his shirt and even on the pillow that fell off of his face, right? And my kids saw that, right? And they woke him up and they said, Uncle, Uncle, you have chips on your face. <laughs> and then he woke up and he's like, what? What are you talking about? And uh, my daughter asked, like, did you eat chips last night? 
And he said, no, no. And she's like, but you have chips on your face and you have chips <laughs> on your bed. And he goes, oh, oh. And we realized that he was sleep eating. I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> I knew that he um, was a sleepwalker. I knew that you know, uh, sleepwalking was something that he did from time to time. But I had no idea that he was a sleep eater, right? And um, uh, at first, you know, he denied it because he really didn't remember. He genuinely did not remember, uh, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and going to the pantry and eating. But sure enough, like, you know, we <laughs> kind of put the clues <laughs> together, right? Or my daughter did. Um, she was the one that kind of figured it out. She's uh, our little Nancy Drew <laughs> detective, like, figuring uh figuring it out figuring out the mystery of the missing snacks <laughs> and my brother sure enough he was a sleep eater now <laughs> why am i uh <laughs> telling you this funny story well i'm telling you because it's amusing it's kind of entertaining <laughs> but also because I, I was thinking about this i was re i was reminded of this story uh from a, a couple years ago because um in many ways i think a lot of us have kind of been sleepwalking through this past year okay i've noticed that during this past year not only have people been kind of in this like state of slumber okay whether it's like spiritual slumber or like cognitive <laughs> slumber social slumber uh whatever you want to uh, put the label as Okay, but we, you know, we've been disconnected from our communities. We've been disconnected from our extended families or maybe even immediate families. Uh, and we've been disconnected from God in so many ways. And this caused many of us to kind of become numb to many of the events and happenings that have occurred around us. And one question I want to start us off with uh, with is this okay what behaviors habits or attitudes have we developed subconsciously during this past year what behaviors habits or attitudes have we developed subconsciously or unintentionally during this past year The passage we looked at today, uh, Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 20, actually touches on this topic quite well. Right? Uh, Paul wrote this letter. Apostle Paul was the author of this letter called Ephesians. And he wrote this letter to a church that he himself started uh, with several of his colleagues uh, in a city called Ephesus in the first century. And so he wrote this letter uh, shortly after he started it and he left okay and he after he left this church in the city of Ephesus he trusted this church to his close friend and student uh, by the name of Timothy okay and um, so he, he left this church in charge uh, with Timothy while Apostle Paul went on to start other churches and continue his missionary efforts across Asia Minor and parts of Europe and during his uh, missionary journey he got arrested and at the time Paul wrote this letter he was actually under house arrest um, in uh, a home in uh, the city of Rome 
all right? And uh, the Roman government put him under arrest uh, for being an insurrectionist. But the beautiful thing about being under house arrest is that you can still write letters to people, okay? Um, he probably did not have like visitors coming in and out of his home, but he was able to send and receive letters, right? So since Timothy and Paul remained close, um, they, may, they remained close friends for many, many years, Timothy would give Paul updates on this church in the city of Ephesus, and he would, you know, um, share with him some of the struggles that he's having and ask him some questions. And Paul would eventually write back in his letters and uh, addressing some of these issues and giving Timothy and the church in Ephesus some advice and some wise words. Now, the people uh, living in Ephesus, they're called Ephesians. That's why this book is called Ephesians. Um, they were a very interesting people. Okay? Ephesus was predominantly a Greek and pagan city which meant that they worshipped many gods, all right? often the same Greco-Roman gods that the Roman Empire worshipped. Uh, so many of the members who converted to Christianity, who became Christians uh, in the Ephesian church, were mostly from that background, okay? They mostly had that kind of a pagan background. So when they became Christians, they became monotheistic, they became morally upright, and they became this kind of a faith-based community where um, their faith was kind of guiding their lives. Whereas before, um, pagan religion was kind of just like in the background, okay? It was kind of in the background of their lives. It wasn't really central to their lives. But because they grew up and they were so immersed in this culture of paganism, it was difficult for them to kind of shake off these like previous habits okay and so uh, subconsciously or unintentionally or maybe in many ways like still d deliberately they would go back to their old ways of practicing their kind of pagan rituals like most of the hellenistic world at the time the ephesians were living in ways that was appropriate to that greco-roman culture uh, many of them were still very elitist in their mentality. A lot of them would flaunt their wealth, um, and they would even look down on people with disabilities or, local, uh, or, or lower social status. And they were quick to prove others wrong. Okay? And they were kind of eager uh, to argue with people and to belittle other people. And they would often not help others in need because they thought that those who were living in poverty or people with disabilities uh, were cursed by the gods. And so they had these kind of like old ways of living um, that they tried to move away from once they became Christians, but uh, they would kind of like slowly seep back in, right? In verse 12 of today's passage, okay, it says, It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So those who were uh, living in this way, uh, they had no issues with it, okay? Um, what Paul described it as is uh, they were living in darkness, okay? They were actually very comfortable with the way that they were living. Um, so rather than um, kind of ignoring it or like hiding it or not really addressing it, um, like head-on, Paul is actually encouraging 
Timothy to encourage those Ephesian Christians to be honest about their struggles, to be open and to be truthful. And in many ways, um, Paul is inviting the uh, Christians in the church of Ephesus to be honest and be truthful and to be open. In so many ways, um, as we transition, for us, as we transition out of this COVID lockdown that we've been in for over a year, God is inviting us to kind of wake up from this kind of, whoa, what the, did you see that? Oh my God, <laughs> that was a huge bee. <laughs> and the timing was pretty good because it like kind of startled me and <laughs> woke me up. Uh, in, in, <laughs> in similar ways, God is inviting us to move out of this state of slumber that we've been in and to wake up, okay? And to wake up from our state of sleep into this state of awakeness and awareness. And it is not in uh, the form of wokeness that this culture <laughs> talks about, okay? Uh, I, I kind of thought that uh, being woke, I, I'm, I'm sure uh, all of you have heard that term before, right? Um, for those of you who are under 40, <laughs> Uh, you've heard that term before, being woke, right? And I thought that was a good thing, okay? But maybe because I'm now over 40, uh, I'm a little slow at this new jargon with the 21st century. But I actually looked this word up in the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> I don't recommend <laughs> you browse around on Urban Dictionary. There is some, like, really gross graphic stuff in there. But uh, I, I look up the word woke in the Urban Dictionary. And it's actually, it talks about it in a kind of a negative way. It uh, talks about it as um, uh, kind of cynical or sarcastic, okay? Here are a few definitions of being woke. Uh, the act of being very pretentious about how you supposedly care uh, about social issues. Or being woke is what happens when instead of taking one blue pill, you down the entire bottle. I don't, okay, I have no idea what that means. Or uh, being woke is um, politically correct narrative that has Marxist principles and its roots and doesn't tolerate open discourse, okay? Uh, it's almost like uh, the opposite of what uh, the word means, okay? It's kind of being narrow-minded and kind of set in your ways. Uh, but this is not what God is inviting us to, okay? He is inviting us to wake up from our state of slumber, okay? In three ways, okay? In three ways. And this is kind of evident in today's passage. First, God is inviting us to wake up from spiritual slumber. God is inviting us to wake up from spiritual slumber, in verse 14, this is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is really an invitation to wake up from spiritual slumber. As I said earlier, this 
past uh, over a year, like these past like 15 months or so, many of us have gone into this kind of state of spiritual slumber. We've been disconnected from our community. We've been dis uh, disconnected from friends and maybe even some family members. And we've probably been disconnected from God in several ways. And I can't really blame any of you for feeling that way because this past year was quite traumatic. Um, and it wasn't just uh, one event, right? It was kind of like chronic trauma for 15 straight months, right? 15 straight months. And so in many ways, it, it's, um, it's kind of understandable. And so um, trying to show myself grace in the ways that I've fallen short or have not really connected with God or with other people as well as I could have. And so maybe you should do the same. Maybe you should also show yourself some grace for the ways that you've been disconnected. But um, now it is a time to wake up, to wake up from our state of spiritual slumber. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, um, as a pastor, how many times I've heard people say that they don't need church to be spiritual. I can't stand it when people say that because that's precisely why God invented the church, is to help you be more spiritual, as to be spiritually healthy. This is why church exists, is to help sharpen each other, to keep each other accountable, to share struggles, to share burdens, and to celebrate together, okay, to grow together as a community. Saying, I don't need church to be spiritual is like saying, um, I don't need school to be a student. <laughs> Maybe, but uh, it's much harder to be a student without school, okay? Uh, let's just be honest, all right? Yeah, sure, you could read a book once in a while, but it's nothing like being a full-time student. We need each other, okay? We need each other more than we realize. Even more so, we need God. We need to depend on God every single day. Part of the reason why I give these talks every week, okay, uh, it's not because I love to hear myself talking. Uh, it's because many of us, and I know this for a fact, okay, many of us don't pray regularly. Many of us don't read the Bible every day. And so the only time that many of us receive spiritual food, okay, spiritual nourishment uh, or a challenge or a word of encouragement from God is here, okay, on Sundays uh, when I give these talks, when I give these messages. And that's okay, okay. Uh, hopefully the goal is to get into this place, this rhythm where you're connecting with God regularly. And this should definitely not replace that. But um, at the very least, I know that these talks are giving and providing spiritual nourishment once a week, okay? Um, it's almost like a lot of us are starving ourselves all week long and then we depend on this one message uh, to provide us our spiritual nourishment. Um, and it's not enough, but at least it's something, okay? At least it's something. And so the first thing that God is inviting us to, okay, is to wake up from our spiritual slumber. Wake up, sleeper. 
rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The other thing that uh, God is inviting us to wake up from is to wake up from apathy to justice. Wake up from apathy to justice. Let me read for us uh, verses 10 and 11. Find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, another way to read this is um, discover. Discover what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of men, but rather, dis, uh, but rather expose them. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. There is a huge difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. There is a huge difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. What God calls and challenges all of us to be as followers of Christ, as disciples, as sons and daughters of God, is to be peacemakers, not simply be peacekeepers. Being a peacekeeper is being passive, doing nothing, um, not causing the harm, not causing the evil. All right, that's just that's simply keeping the peace. Being a peacemaker is a very active state. Okay, it's not just sitting back when evil is done. Okay, it's actually stepping in and intervening and doing some good in the world. Okay, when you see injustice happening, you step in and you prevent it from happening. It is a very active. Uh, taking initiative state of being. Just like Martin Luther King said, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This was really, really made evident this past year, okay? Especially um, during the summer of 2020 when so many black Americans were being targeted, attacked, and killed unjustly um, uh, for just simply by because they they were they're being racially profiled and I'm gonna be critical of my own people for a, a, a bit okay there are so many churches out there who stayed silent during this time um, more specifically, okay, now, I, you know, we could be critical of, like, the white evangelical church, okay? <laughs> They're kind of an easy, easy target. But I'm going to be critical of, like, Korean churches for a second, all right? Um, now, many of our church members are Korean-American, like me, okay? Uh, and, you know, when we started this church, we didn't set out to start a Korean church or even a multi-ethnic church. We wanted our church to be founded on values and principles, rather than like um, ethnicity or like uh, superficial things like that. But there are so many of my colleagues, pastor colleagues and their churches who refused to get involved with um, the whole like uh, Black Lives protests and rallies. In fact, when I got involved with some of the Black Lives protests and rallies, 
through uh, events held by uh, organizations like NAACP or like some local black churches in the Pasadena and Glendale area. I got a lot of criticism from my colleagues uh, about that, okay? Specifically like my Korean uh, pastor, Korean American pastor colleagues, because they refuse to get involved with that kind of stuff, right? Uh, they think it has nothing to do with them. And I could not disagree more, okay? Uh, because what happens to other people of color is uh, it has a direct impact on people like me. I truly believe that, okay? And I know this for a fact because in the 70s and 80s when a lot of like uh, Asian families, immigrant families were migrating to the United States, it is a direct result of the civil rights movement that was spearheaded by the black church. And so as Asian Americans, we are happy to receive the benefits of of some of this like social justice uh, movements but so many times we refuse to get our hands dirty we refuse to step in and intervene and that just pisses me off right and um, they so many people judge me and criticize me for getting involved with stuff like that they they think it's like oh too political um, but I just get so uh, angry about the fact that not enough churches are getting involved with it. However, interestingly enough, a few months ago when uh, Asian Americans were now being targeted for hate crimes, now all of a sudden these Korean churches are being very loud and, and vocal. Uh, these Asian churches are being very loud and vocal. And I'm not, ta I'm not talking about immigrant churches, I'm talking about like uh, English-speaking Asian churches. Okay, and that to me is so, uh, uh, it, maybe um, hypocritical is like too strong of a word, but it definitely has uh, double standards, right? It def there's definitely double standards there. And unless, and it's this whole like Asian American mentality where, you know, you keep your head down and you work hard and take care of your family and don't get involved in things that don't have a direct impact on you. But that is not what Jesus called us to do. And that is not whom Jesus called us to be. He called us to be peacemakers, not simply be peacekeepers. Okay? Blessed are the peacemakers. That is what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. And lastly, what this passage teaches us is to wake up from self-ignorance. To wake up from self-ignorance. In verse 18 of today's passage, uh, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, what does this have to do with um, self-ignorance? Well, part of it is because of my own like direct experience with this passage. Um, as I've mentioned before, I've been working part-time as a chaplain at uh, Adventist Health Hospital in Glendale. And, you know, in the morning, um, I, I get a list of patients that I need to see, right? And, uh, uh, it says their name, their age, and why they're um, at the hospital, okay? 
I don't really know much beyond that. But I've been noticing a lot of the patients that I visit are there because of alcohol intoxication. People have been drinking very, very heavily <laughs> during COVID lockdown, right? To the point where they, they have like liver failure or like kidney failure and all sorts of problems as a direct result of that. And when I visit with them uh, and they're in the hospital, obviously they're sober. Oftentimes they've been there for like one or two nights and they've had some time to kind of um, detox a little bit and they're clear-headed, but they're in pain, okay? They're um, often in physical pain, but more importantly, they're in emotional pain. And as I talk to them, I realize that they are drinking, or a lot of them started drinking heavily, not, not before COVID, like a lot of them started drinking heavily during COVID um, because they're carrying so much pain and they drink as a way to numb their pain, as a way to numb their pain or ignore their loneliness. And this is why we have certain coping mechanisms, okay, like drinking or like recreational drugs. Um, now, don't get me wrong, okay, like I drink alcohol uh, pretty often, okay, like a, a couple times a week, all right, a few times a week. Um, but, you know, it's usually not more than one or two glasses of whatever. Um, but when it gets to the point where we're regularly getting drunk, we have to ask ourselves, like, am I, am I doing this to numb some sort of pain that I'm feeling or ignore uh, an unpleasant feeling that I have? This season that we're in is a really, really odd season, right? It's not a typical season that we're in, and we're about to exit it, okay? We're about to transition into whatever the new normal will look like, and it's going to have its share of problems, Okay, as we talked about last week. Um, but we need to become more self-aware in order to get through this next transition in a healthy way. Otherwise, it's just we're just going to make it harder on ourselves and we might end up worse after this transition than we were even during COVID. I know that's something that I have to be mindful of myself. So if you are feeling pain or uh, certain needs or um, maybe even some loneliness or some areas that, uh, uh, that where you need to grow, I want to encourage you to not ignore that, okay? To confront it and sit with it because that is really what it means to grow spiritually, okay? To become more spiritually mature. I mean, even as an adult, okay, you don't even have to think of it in a spiritual way, okay? Just as like emotionally healthy adults, we need to be able to confront our pain, acknowledge those needs that we have. Because if we don't, then eventually we're just going to uh, sweep it under the rug and it's going to come out in other ways, in other, uh, uh, in other unhealthy ways. Just because we ignore it doesn't mean it's going to go away, right? Just because we try to forget it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, this past week, as I was thinking about this message, um, I was reminded of the story of uh, Rip Van Winkle. 
I don't know how many of you read that story or heard that story as a kid. Um, I, I just knew it was about this guy who slept for a really, really long time. I vaguely remember it, right? So um, I, I, I looked it up uh, again. I looked up the story again, and it's so interesting, all the little details that I totally forgot about. And I, I read this story with my five-year-old son, Drew, right? And it was such an interesting story. So it takes place in like the Catskills Mountain, like um, I think it's at the border of like Connecticut and like New York. Uh, and uh, there's this guy uh, and it takes place during um, pre like before the Revolutionary War, American Revolutionary War. And there's this guy, Rip Van Winkle. He's this like good intentioned, well natured uh, guy. And he enjoyed, you know, playing with his daughter and her friends and, you know, um, he likes helping people out and you know he's kind of like a happy-go-lucky guy however uh, he kind of neglects his own um, needs uh, and his own family even um, he doesn't like uh, work as hard on his on his own farm sometimes he'll help his neighbor's farm before he um, can tend to his own farm and sometimes he's lazy okay um, <clears throat> and he has this wife who is very overbearing who's constantly like yelling at him and nagging at him for uh, helping others out too much or like playing so much. And uh, when it gets unbearable, he would run away um, and he would go hiking, uh, hunting or he would go fishing. Sure enough, uh, one of these days he's going hunting with uh, his dog and he sees this old man in this really old fashioned Dutch uniform uh, who's carrying this big barrel of alcohol and uh, and uh, he sees him and um, you know he he decides to help him out being the good-natured guy that Rip Van Winkle is right so he helps him carry this barrel and he takes it to a group of old men who are dressed just like him uh, uh, who are playing this game that kind of looks like bowling and uh, they're, they're playing this game and um, they're drinking this liquor, this alcohol, and uh, it's, it, it's this delicious drink, right? And Rip Van Winkle can't get enough. And oddly enough, he, the more he drinks, the thirstier he becomes. And so he falls into this deep slumber and uh, he ends up sleeping for like more than 20 years. And he wakes up from this slumber and he wakes up as an old man he has this long beard and uh, he the world has totally like passed him by um, lo and behold he when he wakes up uh, he slept through the entire Revolutionary War his wife died and his daughter grew up became an adult and became a mother of her own now I was thinking about this story and it's it's kind of haunting it's kind of haunting because I think so many of us are kind of sleepwalking through life. We're sleepwalking through life. We're just going in and out of work. We're like keeping ourselves busy, but not really um, being fully aware of who we are and not really spiritually awake. And one day we might wake up and look at ourselves in the mirror and we might become old men, old women, and our entire life has passed us by and we will be filled with regret. And we will have missed 
an entire lifetime of opportunities that God wanted us to live. When God is inviting you to wake up from spiritual slumber, from our apathy to justice, and from self-ignorance, He is inviting us to live life to the fullest, to live a life full of joy, and to no longer be stuck in this state of unawareness and sleep. With that being said, I am not going to close in prayer today. Um, Instead, I'm going to invite you to spend some time on your own connecting with God for a few minutes. And I really, really invite you uh, and encourage you to take advantage of this time to connect with God. Have a blessed week.